turn to the book of Exodus. God help me tonight. Okay, Exodus chapter 26. Guys, be sure and double check. Make sure that you're recording back there as well. We just changed out uh, boards, so soundboard, so we got to get all the kinks out of it. Praise the Lord. Okay, Exodus chapter 26. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Exodus 26 and verse 15 in the word of the Lord. Praise God. And we get the kinks out of the soundboard. And probably the biggest challenge is to get the kinks out of me. And get the kinks out of me and the kinks out of the soundboard. We'll be doing good tonight. Amen. All right. Exodus 26 verse 15. Thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood, standing up. Say, standing up. Amen. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in one board, set in order one against another. Say, against another. Amen. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards on the south side southward. Thou shalt make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, there shall be 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, thou shalt make six boards. And two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. They shall be coupled together beneath. They shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Thus shall it be for them both. They shall be for two corners. They shall be eight boards and their sockets of silver, 16 sockets. Two sockets under one board, two sockets under another board. Thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, Five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach from end to end. Thou shalt overlay the boards with gold. Make their rings of gold for places for the bars. Thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. Thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which would show thee on or in the mount. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you tonight. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy words. We thank you, God, for your anointing, your inspiration upon us. We know that you have everything under control. We trust you tonight for anointing and inspiration. We give you glory for the tabernacle tonight, Jesus. We glorify you, Lord, the true tabernacle. We thank you for preparing the church and dwelling in that church with your presence. We ask God that you would speak in and through us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Can you see that all right? Praise the Lord. You know, this tree right here has a tendency to follow this tabernacle and and it, it likes to grow right in that dirt right there. Amen. We're going to talk about the structure of the tabernacle tonight. First of all, the Bible tells us to give us the size of the tabernacle. And each one of these boards in the tabernacle itself specifically laid out over here better. You can see them right here. They are 10 cubits high, 10 cubits tall. They're not laid upon each other flat. They're standing up like this. Or 10 cubits high, that's 15 feet. Okay? It is also uh, 10 cubits, a 10 cubits high, we have a total of 30 cubits long, which makes the tabernacle 45 feet long. See that? Okay, say praise the Lord. The dimensions are given, and you'll notice that this tabernacle does not stand on the sand. It stands on something altogether. It is not touching the earth. See that? Okay. Also, it's got five boards, uh, bars, four of them you can see, one of them you cannot see. But anyway, this is the structure of the tabernacle we're going to be talking about tonight. There is a total of 48 boards all the way around, two sides in the back, and 96 sockets of silver that make up the structure of this tabernacle. So, Bloss, go ahead and let's go through this so they can see. You shall make the beams of the Mishkan of Shidem wood. Okay, Shidem wood. Everybody's familiar with the Shidem wood. They are standing erect. Go ahead. Ten, ten cubits, or ten amos, ten cubits the length of each beam. That's 15 feet high. Uh, you've got a dimension there, I think. You see that? All right. And then the Bible tells us it's one and a half cubits wide. One and a half cubits wide. Doesn't give us the thickness of it, just the height of it and the width of it. But Jewish writers say that it was also a cubic thick. Okay, let's go to the next one. These are, as the scripture says, two tenons for each beam down at the bottom. Of those boards, those two tenons are two hand-like. 
fingers, okay, that are at the bottom of it. And this gives you the dimension. This shows you how they carved the wood away, how much they carved on the outside, inside, etc., etc. All right, leaving those two pennies. That's the way they got those pennies. They took one beam, shot them, and they cut away or carved away the wood to make those pennies. Go ahead. Okay, we see 20 of them. You shall make beams for the Mishkan, 20 beams for the southern side. The 20 beams, okay? And notice they're all close together. There is no gaps. Okay? Standing next together. Go ahead, next. This is the socket of silver that went underneath it. One socket of silver went for one tenon. We've got two sockets of silver for one board. You understand what I say by pinning, right? A finger-like thing goes into one socket, then you got another socket next to it, and the other one goes into it next to it. So you got two sockets per board, two tenons going into that socket of silver. Okay? The dimensions are given there. Now let's go to the next one. This is an animation of how those boards were placed inside of those sockets of silver. Okay, let's go to the next one. Again, 20 on the other side, northern side, 20 beams, same as the southern side, all close together. Okay, next. And then, uh, of course, we have two sockets of silver per beam, so you've got a total of 40 sockets of silver on this side as well. Okay, there's another picture of it, how the beam would fit down into that socket. We're going to look at some animation here. Okay, thank you. Go to the next one. On the back side, which is the western side of the tabernacle, of course, the tabernacle faced toward the east, okay, the rising of the sun. The back side, the west side, it had six beams, as you can see here, same size, same dimensions, same tenons, etc. And then there were two others that were added for the corners. So let's go to the next. And this gives you the picture of the two other beams that were placed on the corners of the tabernacle for a total of eight beams on the back side. So that gives you a total of 48. 20 on either side, eight on the back side, 48 with a total of 96 sockets of silver. Now, we're not going to study the veil tonight, but there were four beams just like this that separated the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Those four beams also had sockets. So we've got 96 plus 4. There was 100 total uh, sockets of silver. Now let's go to the next one. Okay, we see here they shall be fitted together at the bottom and together shall they match at its top by the single ring so shall it be for the two of them for the two corners shall they be. As you see, there's really nothing down here at the bottom that is securing them in the sockets of silver. The weight 
of those beams themselves. These are shot in wood overlaid with, with gold. And the weight of those beams being 15 feet tall, etc., held them in position uh, into the sockets. Now, the top's different. Verse 24, They shall be fitted together at the bottom, and together shall they match at its top by the single ring. So shall it be for the two of them, for the two corners shall they be. So, what you see here is there is a ring-like or a tube-like structure that slides into the notches at the top, and that keeps the top together. Okay? So it's kept together by the tenons at the bottom and the sockets of silver, and then by these slotted ring-like things that you see how they fall in place there. It'll go again so you can see it. See how they fall in? Okay, good. Let's go to the next one. Here we see again the eight on the back side. Okay, go ahead. Now, then the scripture tells us there's going to be five bars. These bars are of shadow wood. It doesn't say that they are overlaid uh, with gold, but they do slide into gold rings, okay? So there's a total of five bars. Now, you can't see the middle bar. You can see the one at the top and the one at the bottom. One, two, three, four. The fifth bar, we call the fifth bar, the center bar in the middle of the tabernacle is in the middle of those boards. It, you can't see it. It slid through, okay? All right, let's go on to the next one. Let's see it here. See how those um, shining wood bars slide in to those rings on the outside, and then you see the middle bar going right through the center of the tabernacle structure itself. So that it is not seen. Now, the Hebrew has said they believed that that fifth bar that was in the center supernaturally bent so that the bar went through the center of the tabernacle and instead of running another one this way in the back side, the same rod bent all the way around. And obviously that's impossible without it being a miracle. Okay? Now the Bible doesn't say that, but that's what the Hebrew has said. That the bar was one bar and it went all the way around and it was a miracle how it bent. Other Hebrewists say it was sectioned off. Okay, let's go to the next one. Did I finish it, brother? Okay, here we go. The middle bar inside the beam shall extend from end to end. Go ahead. Here are the rings. You shall cover the beams with gold, and its rings shall you make of gold as housing for the bars, and you shall cover the bars with gold. See that? So they'll slide into those, what they call right here, its rings. And they've got an animation here too, I believe, don't you? Now see how those rings go up on the boards? And each one of them boards will have that, and that shot and wood will flow or go through those 
exterior rings. Okay, thank you. You shall erect the Mishkan according to its manner as you will have been shown at the mountain. So that's the actual structure right there. This was what was underneath all the coverings and the curtains that we saw last week. Okay, let me go through some pictures here for you. Basically showing the same thing as software. Gives you an ideal size of a man versus the size of those beams. Say 10 cubits, that's 15 foot high. That's pretty high. I don't know how, how tall that uh, gym is over there, but it's probably close to 15 feet. So it'll give you an idea of the height of the tabernacle. Okay, so 15 foot high, and it was 45 foot long. Because there were 20 of those beams, and each one was a cubit and a half. So you got 30, 30 total. Okay? 30 total, and you have to add again back, so that's 45 feet. Okay, here is the beams once again the tenons, the sockets of silver, and of course they were overlaid with pure gold. There's the two sections of the tabernacle, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. Holy place, 10 by 10 by 20. Let me show you. This is called the holy place, 10 by 10 by 20. This is called the holy of holies. It's 10 by 10 by 10. This is a 2,000-year church age. This is a 1,000-year kingdom age. Okay, 10 by 10 high. Ten across, okay, ten long. Ten wide, ten high, twenty long. See that? All right, this is a picture of some of the uh, furniture that is inside of the tabernacle itself. We will be covering that. Okay, let's go to the scripture. Let's look at the meaning of it and the types of it. Explain it to you the best we can so you'll understand. Okay, Exodus 26. If you have your Bibles, look at that. Okay, thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is, brother, maybe go back to the very beginning so that they will see the board again. Thank you. Next one. All right, these 10 cubic by one and a half cubic beams were made out of shittim wood. They got the shittim wood or the acacia wood out of the desert. They went and they cut it down. They got an axe and they cut it down. That shittim wood is an orange, sort of an orange brownish colored wood. So there's really no beauty in the wood itself that you would desire. The shittim wood speaks of the humanity 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, there was no beauty in him that you would desire him. It was sort of an orange, brownish colored wood. Very twisted wood. A very hard wood. The Septuagint calls it incorruptible wood. Okay? So it speaks of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This wood, you could extract the gum from it at night and you could use it for medicinal purposes as well. Okay? So this very twisted hard wood that grew from the desert had to be cut down. It had to be cut off before it could be erected. Okay? So the, the wood had to die before it could be raised. Obviously, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, His humanity. He died, was buried, and then rose again. But each one of these planks or boards represents the believer in the church because this is the dwelling place of God. God dwelt in Jesus Christ. Now He dwells in the church. Okay? So, each one of these planks speaks of you as an individual believer. At one point in your life, you were connected to the world. Okay? Your whole life was about the world. It was about the natural things. And you received your life from the world. Just like the acacia tree or the shadam tree, it got its sap from the world. It got its nutrition from the world. It lived by the world. Right? That's how every one of us was in the past. We were in the world. Okay? We were not saved. We didn't know the Lord. And then the Lord took His Word, which is the sword of the Spirit, and He cut every one of us down. And when He cut us down, we bowed before Him in repentance. And then as we died to ourselves and gave him our life, being cut down by the spirit of the, by the word of the Lord, we are no longer connected to the world. We no, no longer find our satisfaction from the world. Our life is no longer lived by the world. Because we have been cut down by the sword of the spirit, the word of God. We bowed before the Lord. And then he took us and he raised us up. Okay? Filled us with his spirit and raised us up to stand upright in him. Amen? So we were like the tree. Let's go to Isaiah 64. The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 64. Verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. 
and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So he likens mankind here to a tree, a fading leaf, okay? You see that? They go to Job 19 and verse 10. Brother, if you can give me a little bit, I can hardly hear myself. I know it's real touchy. Okay, Job 19. Nineteen ten, he says, Job says, He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and my hope hath he removed like a tree. So in those passages we see that we're like a fading leaf, and we are like a tree. Okay? Now, each one of us have to be cut down. Give you an example. The Apostle Paul is going along. He's self-righteous. He's very religious. He's going along. He's persecuting the church. And the Lord meets him on the road of Damascus and knocks him to the ground. Cuts him down. Okay? Basically, if you can understand it spiritually, God killed him. And then Saul repented of his sins, was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. God raised him up, put him in his tabernacle, made him straight. Does that make sense? Okay. So everybody has to go through that experience. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to know God, you have to be cut down. As a man or a woman, whatever, you have to be cut down by the sword of the Spirit. The problem is, there is not enough Strong preaching from the pulpits is not strong enough to cut anybody down. It's not strong enough to sort the spirit used from the pulpit to cut the person away from the earth. Most preaching today is so sugary and the preachers are so careful about how they speak that they don't want to cut down anybody. But if you're going to stand erect in Christ's tabernacle, in Christ's house, I and you, everybody here, must be cut down. Because until that happens, you will walk in your pride, you will walk in your own arrogance, your own self-righteousness, and then the sword of the Spirit comes and shows you who you are and cuts you down, takes your feet out from underneath you, and then raises you up in the kingdom of God and makes you a part of the body of Christ. But you have to be cut down. And I have to be cut down. If you do not allow the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word, to come and cut you down and put you on your face, then ultimately you will go down into the depths of hell. You will go into the deep, dark regions of the damned because you refuse to let the sword of spirit, God's word, cut you down and bring you to a place of repentance. So there are not enough preachers preaching God's word in such a way that it will bring people to their knees and repentance unto God 
and they'll get rid of their pride and their self-righteousness and let God raise them up into what He wants them to be. Now, after God does that, after He cuts us down and takes us out of this world, removes us from our old way of living, removes us from the old life that we had, then He takes us and He puts us in His church, in His kingdom, and He makes us stand upright. Say, praise the Lord. We're all standing upright. We're standing on resurrection grounds. You see that? Amen. But after the Lord cuts us down, brings us to Himself, convicts us by His Word, remember the wood is still crooked. It's so crooked, the shining wood is so crooked that the heart of that wood is twisted. Now, you ought to be able to see yourself in what I'm saying right now. You and I were so crooked that our very heart was twisted. Amen. So what God does after He cuts us down, He has to plane us. Or He has to strip us. He has to straighten us out. Because He's not going to take a crooked vessel, a crooked beam, and put you in the church. So once He cuts you down, then He starts working on you. He starts stripping you down. He starts, if you're a carpenter, you understand the term plain, plain you down. Now that would be painful, I think. You ever, have you ever planed the door down? Shaving the wood? You know, shaving the edge of the wood, etc. Well, that's what he does. He cuts you down, brings you to repentance. And then after he does that, he begins to strip you down. Okay? So that you can stand upright in the church. He strips self away. He strips religion away. Amen? And he planes you down and planes you down and he works on you and he cuts on you. He shaves on you until you're straight. Because God requires for us to be straight. Say praise the Lord. I want to be cut down now. I want God's word, the sword of the Spirit, to cut me down now. Because if He is not successful in cutting me down here, that means if I refuse, I will eventually go down. I will go down into the depth, the depth, dark regions of hell. So I want God to cut me down. And I want God to do His work. I want God to strip me of what needs to be stripped in my life. Amen. Say praise the Lord. So this is not only speaking of the humanity of Jesus Christ, but it's also speaking of you, the believer. Amen. Okay. Okay, go back to Exodus again. Okay, verse 16, it says the height of them will be 10 cubits. All right, shall be the length of a board and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one. Correct? Okay, so this board has two hands on it, two tenons. Scripture tells us. There's a total of 20 of these 
If they're a cubit and a half wide, that means they're 30 cubits, which equals 45 feet. So that's how we get the length of the tabernacle. Okay. Verse 17, two tenons shall there be in one board set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make the boards of the tabernacle 20 boards on the south side southward. Thou shalt make 40 sockets of silver. Okay, so these boards are going to be standing in those sockets of silver. So you'll notice the tabernacle structure itself is not standing on the ground. Because then it would not be cut off from the earth. Remember what I told you? It has to be cut off from the earth to stand up. They would not allow those tenons or those hands to go through those sockets of silver and touch the ground in any way. So this tabernacle structure never touched the ground. See? Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. You're in, you and I are in the world, but we're not of the world, okay? So these uh, boards with the two tenons, one socket per tenon, silver sockets holding them up, a total of 96 because you've got 48 total boards. Eight on the back side, 20 on either side, 48. So you've got a total of 96 and then four holding this right here for a total of 100, okay? Now let's go to Exodus 30. Let's find out where... Those uh, sockets of silver came from. Verse 11. Okay, you there? Okay, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number. So he's saying, You're going to number the children of Israel. In connection to numbering the children of Israel, that means you're going to, he's going to put them in a roll book. It's very important for you to get. He's going to record each one of their names in a roll book. It's called numbering the children of Israel. In connection to the numbering of the children of Israel, they were to bring each one a half shekel of silver. Okay? Without that half shekel of silver, you could not be put in God's roll book. You would be left out. Okay? Everybody had to bring the same amount of silver. Nobody could bring less. Nobody could bring more. Everybody was required to bring the exact same amount of silver. And as they brought that half shekel of silver at that time, then their name was recorded in the roll book. Okay? The silver speaks of redemption. It speaks of atonement. So, this speaks of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at it. Exodus 30, verse 11. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom. Say a ransom. So this is ransom money. This is redemption money. This is atonement money. A ransom for what? For his soul. Okay, he's going to bring it unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. This they shall give every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel 
and after the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is twenty gerars, and a half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. It's about thirty-three cents apiece. Okay? So they bring a half shekel. As they bring that half shekel, it's their ransom money, it's their atonement money, it's their redemption money. And when they do, that's when God records them. I say God, yes. Ultimately, Moses records them in the roll book and numbers them as being among God's people. Everybody brings the same. Okay? Verse 14, Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than a half shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement. Say an atonement for your souls. So this is ransom money, it's redemption money, it's for an atonement for the soul. Okay? And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Now what did they do with that money? Exodus 38. He tells you what they did with that atonement money, that ransom money. We'll start with verse 26. Exodus uh, 38 and verse 26. Okay, a beaker for every man that is, that is half a shekel. After the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone that went to the numbered are to be numbered from 20 years old and upward for 600,000 and 3,550 men. You see that? Verse 27. And of the hundred talents of silver, of the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary. So that's how we know that the atonement money or the silver that was used for the sockets was the atonement money that was collected when they numbered the people and put them in the roll book. So this is how we know by the scripture that this represents atonement. It represents ransom. It represents redemption. Because it tells you right there in the Bible, you don't have to read into it, it tells you right there that that's where the silver came from. Okay? And they took one talent for each socket of silver. Now, that's approximately 100 to 125 pounds. You'll look at it again in verse 27. And of the 100 talents of silver were cast, the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil, 100 sockets of the 100 talents, a talent for a socket. So now we know that each one of those sockets of silver, a total of 96 plus 4, 96 for the tabernacle structure and 4 for the, the veil, there's 100 total talents of silver. If you have a talent weighing 100 pounds, that's 10,000 pounds of silver. A little math, calculate a little math, 10,000 pounds of silver equals 5 tons of silver. So there were 5 to 6 tons of silver that was used for the foundation of that tabernacle. 
all of these boards standing in silver, standing in redemption, standing upright. But each one of those boards were overlaid with gold. But you could not see the shadow wood. Okay, so this speaks of how you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ. Say, in Christ. That humanity is not seen. Your old beauty is not seen anymore. Okay? What is seen is God, is Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. So these boards are covered over. You can't see the wood. All you can see is the gold, and the gold speaks of the deity of Jesus. So we're standing on redemption. We're standing in Christ Jesus. They're in that tabernacle. Does that make sense to you? It does say praise the Lord. Okay, go to 1 Peter 1. Five to six tons worth of silver went into the building of that tabernacle. Tabernacle never touched the ground. Structure. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed, say redeemed. Notice in the New Testament it doesn't say it, it was an atonement for you. The Old Testament was atonement, it means to cover. Right? The atonement money, the ransom money was to cover. But in the New Testament, Jesus did not just come to cover sin. Jesus come to take it away. So the word redeemed is used. Understand that? Okay, so verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, and Peter goes back in his mind to the old tabernacle. You are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So in the New Testament, Peter takes the Old Testament type and shadow of silver and gold and he brings it into fulfillment and he says we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. So that that was a type of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you will remember that altar where the blood was shed. This silver right here is speaking of the costliness because this is pointing to that. This silver redemptive money, atonement money, is pointing to that blood that was shed at that altar. And that silver is telling you that the blood that was flowing at that altar was a costly blood. Very expensive blood that was being shed at that altar. So when Jesus Christ came into the world and shed His blood for us, that blood was very, very costly. Very costly blood to redeem us. Say praise the Lord. Now let's go to Acts 20 and verse 28. 
It says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Who purchased the church with his own blood? Okay, who died for you on the cross? Jesus. But the Bible says in Acts 20, 28, it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. That means that Jesus was none less than God come in the flesh. Okay, say amen. So that precious blood was the blood of God. So it was a very costly blood. Very expensive. In order for God to redeem you and I from our sins. Say praise the Lord. Okay, let's go back to Exodus. Okay, it gives you the total sockets, the total boards. All right, they're all standing. Scripture says all standing against each other. So, what God did was He took you from the world, cut you down, stripped you down, placed you in His tabernacle, in His church, the dwelling place of God, overlaid you with gold, His Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're in Christ Jesus, standing in redemption. Amen. And you're standing next to each other. But because these boards are individual, God doesn't just look at you as a corporate body of people. When He looks at you tonight, He doesn't just look at you as one group. He looks at you as individuals that He has saved. And you make up this tabernacle. You're standing against each other. You make up the body of Christ. There is no gap in between these boards. They are fitly framed together. And so that's you. That's you and that's myself standing together in God's house. Fitly framed together. Standing in redemption in Christ Jesus. Glow with the Spirit. My old beauty does not appear. Thank God. And I'm standing next to you and you're standing next to me all in the body of Christ. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Is God good? So Christ is our true Redeemer. Now the scripture goes on and it tells us there are two tenants that you see here in the picture that is used to put in those sockets of silver. They're like hands. They go down in the sockets of silver and they're, the weight of that beam is pushed into the silver and they're held up straight. Those two hands, if that silver represents redemption, is grabbing a hold of redemption. And so in the New Testament, the Bible tells us, lay hold onto eternal life. Lay hold on it tonight. Eternal life is available to you, but you got to reach out and you got to grab it. You got to lay hold on it. And you got to hold on to it. And so, one hand is grabbing a hold of his death. One hand is grabbing a hold on his resurrection. And we're like those tendons holding firmly 
into eternal life. Say praise the Lord. All right, from there. Uh, he talks about the six on the back side, the west side, six boards, and then the two boards that are on the corner. I don't need to cover that with you. Verse 24. Exodus 26, 24. They shall be coupled together beneath. They shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Thus shall it be for them both. They shall be for the two corners. Uh, they shall be eight boards. Their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under one board and two sockets under the other board. So that's the back side of the tabernacle, which is this right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Got two right here on the side. You got the six in the middle. Give you a total of ten interior cubits, or fifteen feet wide, inside. There's a portion of the outer two are overlapping the walls as they come down. Okay, you see that? Okay, the scripture goes on and says, verse twenty-six. Thou shalt make bars of shittim woods, five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the boards shall reach from end to end. Can you see that? Uh, if you can see it good. In both these pictures and this one as well. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about there is a fivefold ministry. Okay? But before I get into the fivefold ministry, you need to understand that that one bar that you cannot see that's in the center of the structure ultimately represents Jesus Christ. Because he's the center of the body. He's the center of the church. Okay? In this case, you cannot see him. So tonight, he's here in the midst of us. He's dwelling in us. He's dwelling in the midst of the church. He's the center of everything that we do. Okay? All together, five bars, also speaks of the grace of God. Because the number five is the number of grace. The grace of God. Also, when you take that one in the center, you can apply it to these four and you have the fivefold ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. Are you with me now? Okay. In the book of Revelation, we see a church of the last days that is called the Laodicean church. It is a carnal, lukewarm church. Okay. The word Laodicea means the people will rule or the people rule. So in the last days, there will be a church, a people who do not put value on the fivefold ministry. They will be ruling themselves. But for the true bride of Christ, the true church, they will recognize the importance of this fivefold ministry as it prepares them for the rapture of the church. 
So either you're going to be the church of Philadelphia that's going to be rapture ready, or you're going to be the church of Laodicea. In the book of Revelation, both of those churches run parallel together in the last days. The Philadelphia church is the church that's on fire, it's full of the Spirit, it's, it's got truth in it, etc. The Laodicea church is a backslidden carnal church that's not ready for the rapture. Okay? Church that's ready for the rapture or is being prepared for the rapture of the church is a church that doesn't rule itself. It's not Laodicea in its mind. It understands the fivefold ministry and the operation of the fivefold ministry to prepare you for the rapture of the church. So that revival church of Philadelphia is not a self-ruled church. It's, it's not a self-governed church. Not long ago, I went by a church that had a big old sign. It says, the church of the people. And I said, I'm not going in that one. Now, they may mean that one way, but I take it a totally different way because that is what Laodicea means. It means the rule of the people. Okay? So if you're going to be rapture ready, there has to be a fivefold ministry operation in your life preparing you for the rapture of the church. Okay? It's only people that are Laodicea in their mindset they want to rule their own lives. They will not be rapture ready. Okay? How many of you want to be rapture ready? So, fivefold ministry, the grace of God, and then we see the Spirit of the Lord in the center of it. So the fivefold ministry is going to be pointed ultimately to Christ. Now go to Acts chapter 4. And we see more clearly the four that are seen. I say the four that are seen. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Okay, how many of you know what happened on in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2? That's when the church was started, right? Okay. That's when the plan of salvation is given in Acts 2.38. Look what he says. Verse 42. While you look at that verse, look at these bars. One, two, three, four bars that are seen. So now I'm going back here, and these four bars are holding the structure together. And it's pulling everything to the center. It's pulling to that center bar, Christ Jesus. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have four things that are recorded there. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So, that's one of those bars pulling to the center, Christ Jesus. The, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Number two, and fellowship. Say fellowship. The apostles' doctrine is the basis of our fellowship. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I want everybody to hear what I just said. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Then the next thing that's stated is fellowship. So my fellowship and your fellowship with each other is based on the apostles' doctrine. It's not based on a denomination. 
It's not based on what color of skin you are. It's not based on how much money you have. It's not based on the kind of clothes you wear. The basis of our fellowship tonight in this church is that we all believe and continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now notice they say that in Acts 2. After the apostles' doctrine is given, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's preached after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus is preached. So if you want to know what the apostles' doctrine is, it's given right there in Acts 2. And it says they're continuing that steadfastly. And then it says, after the apostles' doctrine, it says fellowship. So the basis of my fellowship with you and your fellowship with me is if you continue in the apostles' doctrine. If you're steadfast. If at any time you stop believing the apostles' doctrine, we are no longer in fellowship with you. Because that is the basis of our fellowship. The first thing. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And then, number two, fellowship. You see that? Now, fellowship is not just getting together and eating together and having a good time. And, you know, when they used to preach to us, they called it fellowship. And it's just not getting together and just talking. The word koinonia is, when you talk about fellowship, you're talking about participation. You're talking about a partnership. There's a lot in that word fellowship. So you're participating in the things of the church. You have a partnership. In the things of the church. If you do not have koinonia in your life. Then you're not. Represented by one of these bars. Okay. So apostles doctrine. Then next fellowship. Koinonia. And then after that we have. And breaking of bread. There's a third bar. Breaking of bread. So we have the. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. In fellowship, koinonia. Fellowship's based on the apostles' doctrine. And the breaking of the bread is the manifestation of it or the expression of it. So when we get together, we take the Lord's Supper or if we preach the Word of God, which is the bread. The bread is the Word of God. As we preach the Word of God to you, we're breaking bread. As we take the Lord's Supper and we break bread, we are expressing the Apostles' Doctrine and koinonia or fellowship. Okay, so fellowship is based on the Apostles' Doctrine and then the breaking of the bread is the expression of that doctrine that we have together. And then the fourth thing that's given, it says, and in prayers. So we have the fourth bar, and in prayers. So this is what the early church did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Those are those four bars pulling everybody together toward the center, Christ Jesus. You have to have those in your life. Those are fundamental things that the church has to have in it to be pulling you. You see that? Then the prayer would be sustaining that continue steadfast in the apostles doctrine fellowship is the basis of of that doctrine 
breaking bread is the expression of that and prayer is the power that sustains it all. So if you don't have prayer, you don't have the sustaining power. So you've got to have those four bars, okay? Acts 4 specifically gives. And I believe those four bars are seen right here in the tabernacle. And it's all pulling you together. It's all holding you together in Christ Jesus. And it's pulling you to Him. So make sure in your life, and by the grace of God as your pastor, I will make sure that we establish these things in our church. That we have, we continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. That we have koinonia, our fellowship, participation, a partnership in the church. And uh, the breaking of the bread, the preaching of the Word of God, the Lord's Supper, etc., which is the expression of what we have, and then prayer. Make sure you have that, and that will sustain all of the other. Do you see that? If you do, say praise the Lord. Well, isn't God good? I'm so glad He found me. I'm so glad He saved me. And ultimately, that center bar that's invisible, that center bar that's invisible, shows you in Acts 4 and 12. Go there. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name, amen, that you can be saved by, and that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we baptize in Jesus' name, obviously. Praise the Lord. I thank God for the truth tonight. So there you are. Ultimately, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, but there you are all standing next to each other, held together by five bars, standing in redemption, clothed with His Spirit in Christ Jesus, redeemed by His blood. The Bible says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, it's the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. So this is what Christ Jesus has done for each and every one of us. He is our true Redeemer. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your blessings in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to come here tonight to hear your word, to prepare our hearts and our minds to serve you. We ask you, mighty God, as we celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow with family with friends, that we would look back to this service tonight and be thankful for the fellowship, the breaking of bread that we've had here tonight. We go forth from this house understanding what you've done for us. Thank you for continuing working in our lives and I pray for this assembly tonight that we would ultimately be standing upright, resurrection ground, and you come to set up your kingdom.
Let us apply what we've learned tonight to our lives. Let us walk it and not just profess it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You'll have a wonderful Thanksgiving tomorrow.